0: There's only two religions in the world. Either God is God or man is God. It all boils down into one of those two categories. That is also a reflection of two attitudes. Either you're going to have an attitude like Jesus Christ had, or you're going to have an attitude like Lucifer has, like Satan has. That's what it really boils down to. Let's look at the two attitudes. Philippians chapter 2. I'll give you Philippians chapter 2 here. Ah. This is the new ultra-thin Bible. What was it? Five, maybe eight years ago, thin was in. Be thin for Him. Well, the publishing industry, not to be outdone, has come out with a new reduced thin Bible here. It's, uh, well, I picked it up because it fits nice in my valise and I travel with it. But the only problem is, you ever, you've done that, you've got a nice big Bible, you've done all your studying in it, you've done all your devotions in it, you know where those verses are, they almost fall open right to that place, and bang, it's right there on that page, right in that spot, and now it's not there anymore. <laughs> i got to find it here. Philippians chapter 2, verse 5, all right? Those of you who do not have a Bible, if you did not bring a Bible, just uh, read my lips as we read silently the verse together. (laughs) I'll read it out loud. This is the New International Version. (laughs) Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus. That's what I'm really harping on tonight. even death on a cross. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Amen. Now, would you please bear in mind that Jesus, who was and is God, humbled himself and became a man and it was very nice of him to do that, considering that most people today are trying to become God. The perfect opposite. See, you got two attitudes there. I think I get a big kick out of it. You talk to some of these cultists and occultists, and they'll go on for so long saying, Oh, we're all God. Yes, we're all God. Didn't Moses say, Ye are gods? Well, no, it actually was the prophet Asaph in Psalm 83, and that just goes to show how much you know. But anyway, it's just, but, you know, we're all gods. Then you get to the point about Jesus. You know what the first thing they say is? He didn't really claim to be God. Everybody gets to be God, but Jesus. <laughs> that just reflects the attitude. That's the attitude that's out there. Huh? I don't want to offend anybody tonight, you know, by you know stomping on your toes or something. But I, I do hope that even if what I say grates against you and rubs you the wrong way, <laughs> please. Prove to the world how open minded you really are and give me a fair hearing because I I really do want to share the love of Jesus with you tonight and underline what the truth is. Oh, yeah, there really is a truth out there. We'll get into that. But what's this other attitude? Where did it come from? What's it like? Well, let's go to Isaiah 14. Isaiah 14 is where it began. This is the fall of Lucifer, known to his friends as Lucy. And he was up there. He was an art. I just, that's not really true. That's not doctrinal or anything, I guess wisecrack there Isaiah 14 verse 12, this is one of those passages that talks about the fall of Satan, he used to be of course a mighty archangel he was beautiful, he was just maybe even the the worship leader of heaven because uh, another passage in Ezekiel talks about how music and musical instruments were actually a part of his being and so forth And it talks about his fall and why he fell. Now, here's where you go. Isaiah 14, 12. How you have fallen from heaven, O morning star, son of the dawn. That's where we get the name Lucifer, light bearer and all that nice stuff. You have been cast down to the earth, you who once laid low the nations. You said in your heart... Now, before we get into this, when we pray the Lord's Prayer, what do we pray? We say, Thy kingdom come, Thy will be done. Good attitude. What does Lucifer say? I will ascend to heaven. I will raise my throne above the stars of God. I will sit in throne on the mount of assembly. That's not high enough. On the utmost heights of the sacred mountain. That's not high enough. I will ascend above the tops of the clouds. That's still not high enough. Where are you headed, Lucy? I will make myself like the most high. I'm going to be the head honcho around here, I'm going to be in charge, I'm going to run the show, I'm going to be God, I'm going to make all the rules, create my own reality, have my own way, be the boss, I'm going to be the head honcho of heaven, ah, the HHH. <laughs> <laughs> I'll imagine he even got past God's first secretary, you know, bing, hello there, I'm the HHH now, you know, he got found out, shoo, yeah, down on the earth he went. Now he's moping. He's pouting. He's feeling. Stomping around on the earth. Boy, that God, what a sour person he is. Kicks me out of heaven just because I want to be God. I mean, who does God think he is? God? God? <laughs> I'm going to get God. I'm going to get him. I'm going to get him. Of course, you can't get God because God isn't gettable. <laughs> but he's thinking to himself, I'm going to get him. There's got to be some way to get him. I'm just oh, I'm so mad. Then he's, he's probably walking around in the Garden of Eden, you know, and he hears this voice. Oh, Adam! Shepard <laughs> Makes his way through the garden, and he looks, Ha-ha! He looks upon the apple of God's eye, the joy of God's creation, the center of God's purpose. He looks upon mankind. (laughs) You've seen two, you've seen them all. There they are. I have a plan. You know, God, being totally just, had to kick me out of his presence when I rebelled, when I wanted to do my own thing, when I wanted to be God. <laughs> if I can get mankind to bind to that same lie, if I can get mankind to assert himself and try to be God and rebel against God and be arrogant and be rebellious, God, being perfectly just, will have to kick him out of his presence and kick man out of the Garden of Eden. It's a beautiful plan. He goes to his closet. He's got to have just the right outfit. Uh oh, wolf in sheep's clothing. No, 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 no. Oh, false prophet. No, 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 no. Angel of light. No, not that one either. Ah, snake. <laughs> And he gets on his snake suit oh, And he wiggles into the garden. He's into that garden there. How's the conversation? Oh, well, Genesis chapter 3. We need to look this up. Genesis chapter 3. We go now to the conversation between Eve and the serpent, now in progress. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God really say? You must not eat from any tree in the garden. I mean, really, Eve, let's be open-minded about this. Let's think this through. Did he really say that? How do you know what God really said? I mean, after all, it's been translated so many times it can't possibly be accurate anymore. (laughs) But shut down on God's word, all right? Well, Eve, I don't know, she'd been to Sunday school or something. She had it down. The woman said to the serpents, We may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say, quote, You must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it, or you will die. Unquote. (laughs) You will not surely die, the serpent said to the woman. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God. Knowing good and evil, in other words, Eve, if you eat that fruit, your eyes will be open. you will have an altered higher state of consciousness, you will see things you've never seen before, you'll have truth and reality you've never experienced before, you'll be able to make your own universe, call your own shots, make your own rules, you'll be able to judge for yourself what is right and what is wrong, you will be the ultimate arbiter of all truth and all morality, oh, what a package, all you've got to do is eat the fruit. So Eve thought about it, well, okay, And she ate the fruit. (laughs) No, it's not the fruit. It's the fact that they ate the fruit. The fact that at a heart level they decided, I want to go for that. I want to do my own thing, have my own way, call my own shots, make my own rules. I want to be God. Who can pass that up? Well, none of us ever did, you know. It's kind of, it's called sin. <laughs> the Bible says, as in Adam, all die. You know, we all inherited that. You've probably noticed that. As soon as we're born into this world, we have one tune on our minds. Me! I'm going to rise above my high chair. I'm going to sit myself above the rails of my playpen. I'm going to take charge around here and be the blessed controller of all things. You know, the humanists try to tell us that actually man is perfect. He is pure. He is born a clean slate. It's only society and poverty and ignorance and social injustice that makes him bad. We all know that. We all have to teach our kids how to be selfish. <laughs> we have to teach our kids how to be rebellious, you know. Son, son, you're obeying me again. Listen. You know what don't, don't obey me so much. You're sharing again. Now, listen, when the the ball comes to you, keep it for a while. Don't give it back. Oh, it's that basic attitude, and we've all kind of inherited that. It's part of being human. We have it in our hearts. Me, me, me. I want to do it. I want to do (laughs) it. Some of us never grow out of that. Instead of growing out of it, we turn it into a, a religion and we spiritualize it. And that's kind of what we see happening in a very obvious way in our society today. You see, look at 1 Samuel chapter 15, verse 23. It's a profound statement by Samuel. Uh, you know, there's a whole context here of how King Saul disobeyed the Lord and so forth. And the prophet Samuel is scolding him. Uh, and, you know, he can read the whole thing to get the context. But this one key element here that Samuel says is very important for any society to remember. In 1 Samuel 15, 23, he says... For rebellion is like the sin of divination, some of your Bibles probably say witchcraft, and arrogance like the evil of idolatry. Rebellion is like the sin of witchcraft. Samuel was telling Saul, Oh, don't you feel like you're so holy. Don't think you're any better than all those witches that you've driven out of the land because at a heart level, you're no better than they are. You have rebelled against God. You've asserted your own will over that of God. And you are expressing a rebellion against God. It is the same stuff that the witches are into. Because witchcraft is ultimately a rebellion against God. And an asserting of your own power and authority over creation, you see. And so, that's really interesting. Let me draw a line for you. This will kind of clarify it a little more for you. I call this the line of Rebellion. There, there's a line. There's five points on the line, five kind of steps toward that. You start at this end of the line. Let's start with a basic rebellion. Let's start with the idea that there's no God. I'm not going to have God running my life and telling me what to do. I want to do my own. You know what that is? That's humanism. Humanism is the basic idea that man is the center and the measure of all things. There is no God. No, man is the final arbiter of all truth. Man is the one who's going to decide what's right, what's wrong, what's good, what's evil, what's true, what's false. He may have caused some of his problems, but he has within himself the capacity to solve his problems. There are no absolutes. It's only what man thinks. Ah, so you get into all that idea. Oh, that feels so sweet for a while. You're going along just saying, ha-ha, there's no God. It's me, just me, just me in this universe. Ha-ha, I'm all alone in this universe. Ha-ha. And then it begins to sneak up on you. Ooh, I'm all alone in this universe. (laughs) And you start to wonder, what am I even doing in this universe? Why am I here? Where am I going? Who cares? Oh, we work on that real hard as a society. We raise our kids that way. Kids! Welcome to Biology 101. We're going to learn about bugs and slugs and grass and flowers and we're going to cut up frogs, do all kinds of fun things in this class. But first and foremost, before we learn anything else, kids, the first thing you need to learn is that you are an accident. <laughs> you are a totally meaningless conglomeration of molecules that came together purely by chance billions and billions of years ago. You kind know, of the dust and the gas of the universe kind of floated around and finally bumped into each other and then they said, I know. Let's be organic, okay? And so they became organic, and they kind of came together, and they formed little gooey things, and little gooey things floated around in the primordial soup for a couple million years, and they they grew little flippers and fins, and they kind of grew legs and crawled up on the land, and then they started getting fur and feathers and started eating bugs and all this other stuff, and they kind of became bigger creatures and started roaring around, and they kind of started walking upright, became a monkey, and then they kind of became an ape, and then the ape decided to shave, and so he shaved, and, and, you know became, you know, an evolutionist is what he became. It's kind of like from goo to you by way of the zoo. (laughs) And as as such kids, as such kids, you... (laughs) You're really an accident. You have absolutely no reason for being here. Your life is meaningless. It is without purpose. The universe couldn't care less that you're here. And when you leave, you are always so much compost. (laughs) So, oh, class dismissed. Okay, well, head on down the hall now, kids, to that new class they're starting this week, that class all about (laughs) self-esteem. Yeah, our society has a way of shooting itself in the foot sometimes. We work so hard to take away our kids' ultimate sense of meaning, purpose, value. And then we wonder, how come they have such terrible self-esteem and they're killing themselves and doing the drugs and all this other stuff? And so we say, oh, I know, it's bad self-esteem. We need to pump them up, make them feel good about themselves. Kids, kids, listen. Yes, you're an accident, but you're a good accident. (laughs) Think of all the potential you have for for, for causing more accidents. I mean, just do it safely, that's all. But just make sure that... Well... There's a lot more I could say about it, but what we have is an entire generation raised up in a world that has nothing to offer them but despair. Despair. I don't really have any reason for being here. I'm an accident. I'm meaningless. Second notch on the line is the idea. I'm going to find more to myself. There's all kinds of different ways to do it. You can go to India and contemplate your navel and things like that. (laughs) You can... You can enroll in a, in a motivational course at, your, at the company where you work, or you can get into all kinds of S or all this other stuff. You can get into this, oh yeah, there's all this hidden potential inside me. We only use 10% of our brains anyway. I didn't know that. Yeah, that's true. Who says? I don't know. I just heard it somewhere. I don't know. But we only use 10% of our brains, and, and if we can just tap into that untapped 90%, oh, there's nothing we can't do. What man can conceive, he can achieve. Limits exist only in the mind. You're a winner. You're on your way to the top. Take Involved in all that stuff, but you know, when you were to get into this human potential, I'm going to find it somewhere. You know, you you end up over here in New Age occultism. That's where that human potential that is so neat to look for actually becomes something more than just uh, you know cells or the 90 percent of your brain. It becomes something spiritual. The idea is we're actually divine. You know, the New Agers will tell you that. They'll say, oh, mankind's problem is not sin. Oh, no, sin, sin, there's no such thing as sin. Sin is only a concoction. It's a device of organized religion to manipulate people. No, our problem isn't moral trespass. Our problem is ignorance. We're all God. We just forgot that we were God. That's some kind of God that forgets that he's God. (laughs) And what good is that going to do? You remember your God if you forget it again. But now we're actually all divine, there's this divine potential in every one of us, we just have to discover our higher self, attain the word godhood, achieve enlightenment, self-realization, self-actualization, all these nice buzzwords, it's basically finding out that I am all that there is, I have all the wealth of knowledge all pent up inside myself, and I am God! And so they get into the crystals and, and the tarot cards and the higher self and the meditation, they do all that stuff because they're looking after, trying to find that human potential that is actually something spiritual. But when you get into real heavy New Age occultism, you're actually uh, dealing with spiritual beings out there. You know, they're into channeling and so forth. This channeler goes into some trance and then this spirit enters their body, speaks through them, begins to tell them all kinds of neat. You're getting into an area over here where you're actually starting to mess around with demonic spirits. Now you're into witchcraft. Witchcraft. What is witchcraft? Well, witchcraft is seeking after power. The goal of witchcraft is power. White magic, black magic, it doesn't matter. You're after power. Power over other people. Power over your situation. Power to manipulate reality. Power to be as it were God. So you tap into the natural forces. You tap into the spiritual forces through spells, potions, incantations, lighting candles, doing all these different things. You get yourself a few familiar spirits. These spirit guides that come and help you out. Or manipulate you or use you until you get into such bondage that you cannot escape it. And then you end up over here at the last step on the line. And that's what we hear so much about today. And that is Satanism. Satanism. Well, that's naturally the way we're going. we want to do what Satan wanted to do in the very beginning. I want to run my own show, do my own thing. And now Satan is coming along and saying, I'll help you. I'll give you all the power you need. And here we go. Yeah, sure, I'll kill babies, I'll kidnap people and torture them and murder them, I'll be a part of a drug ring, I'll do all that stuff if it means I can have power. This is where man ends up. This is where our young people are ending up. We started over here by telling them, young person, you're nothing but an accident, there are no absolutes, there are no absolute morals, no one has any right to tell you what to believe or what to do, so go ahead, do whatever you want. This is where they're ending up. Because rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft. And when we as a society decided that we were going to throw out the God in whom we're supposed to trust, we basically signed up for a whole lot of trouble as our whole society began to slip down this line. that's That's what happens. This is where rebellion will take you. This is where rebellion against God leads you. You give man a free reign and you decide, Okay, man, you're all pure and wholesome and everything. Let's see you do your best shot. That's where he goes. It's red flags time now. In First Timothy chapter 4, let's see, we'll turn to that. First Timothy chapter 4, the scripture says, The Spirit clearly says that in later times some will abandon the faith and follow deceiving spirits and things taught by demons. Now, in the original language, that means deceiving spirits and things taught by demons. <laughs> Well, we used to kind of slough over that a little bit, you know. It's just like saying, Satan's picking on me. Satan's picking on me. I'm having a hard day. Now, wait a minute. Is Satan really picking on you? I mean, he can't be everywhere at once. Is he really concerned with you directly? Can he tempt you when he's tempting all these other people all around the world? How do you know that Satan himself is picking on you? Well, it's just kind of a general statement. It's easy to say. Well, this is easy to take the same way. Yeah, doctrines of demons. Yeah, sure. You know, all these cults and things and weird guys coming up. Yeah. No, these are doctrines that are actually taught by real personal demons who are speaking to people today, who are talking through them, who are manipulating Ouija boards and crystals and tarot cards, who are actually causing doctrines to be taught all around this planet. Whatever you want, that's what they'll be. They'll be a lost relative speaking to you through some medium. They'll be an extraterrestrial stepping out of a UFO. Whatever you want. They'll dress up like whatever you want so they can teach you their doctrines. Now, the big religion, of course, is that man is God. Come on, do your own thing. Have your own way. My prayer is that as you're out there in warfare and in your regular Christian walk, when you come across these things, it'll be a little more sensitive this time. Those red flags go up a little faster. And if there's anybody here, I hope I don't, you know, really step on your toes. I hope that I can more or less guide you into the truth. I don't want to offend you or hurt you, but please just, just hear me out because behind these doctrines is an attitude. You see, you have to get behind the doctrine to find the attitude. And the attitude, of course, is I'm going to do my own thing, have my own way, be my own God, and I don't want God telling me how to run my life. I'll give them to you. Number one, the first doctrine is truth is relative. Truth is relative. Well, what does that mean? Well, that means that nothing is really true. What's true for you may not be true for me, but what's true for me may not be true for you, but that's okay. It doesn't matter what you believe as long as you're sincere. We're all taking different roads to get to the same place worship God as you conceive Him to be. There is no ultimate truth. Whatever you want to believe, that's true. We're going to be real relativistic. We're going to be tolerant. We're going to be, we are the world. We are your children. We're all going to get along because nobody really knows anything for sure, so believe whatever you want, and it's right for you. You've probably seen the Donahue show, or, uh, or Oprah Winfrey, or uh, uh, Geraldo, or Sally, Jesse, Susie, Betsy, whatever her name <laughs> Oh, Old Donahue, he gets somebody on the show, and he goes around the audience, and he gives the microphone, to all these people, and he's running around, you know, and, and he gets all these opinions from everybody. <laughs> I think, well, I think, well, I, I've always felt it. well, I don't know, I think you're all wet. I think, well, and he gets all these opinions from everybody. By the time you finish watching that show, you've come to the conclusion that they're never going to come to a conclusion and that nobody really knows what they're talking about. And the reason they don't seem to know what they're talking about is probably because they don't know what they're talking about. And the reason they don't seem to know what they're talking about is because we are living in a society that is based on opinion and not on ultimate truth. You see, we've got an opinion oriented society. Now, we used to say, well, everyone's entitled to their own opinion. Yeah, that's true. But that doesn't mean that everybody's opinion is just as good as everybody else's. It is possible to be wrong. <laughs> oh, it is, really. It's possible to be wrong. But We don't seem to like, we don't go for that in our society anymore. We don't want to say anybody's wrong. Well, let me tell you, you're going to be a relativist. The relativist believes three things. (laughs) He believes three essential truths, (laughs) or doctrines, or ideas, or whatever they are. Number one, you have to believe that nothing is true. That's true. (laughs) The second thing you need to believe is that nothing is knowable. In other words you can't know anything for sure nothing I'm sure of that the third thing you have to believe that nothing matters I don't care what it is it don't matter well think about it imagine I'm raising my kid they said kid nothing is true and I don't know anything and neither are you and neither one of us ever will Oh, you know, we can make up something. Go ahead, make up something. Your opinion is just as good as mine. So what are you left with, really? Ultimately, when you get to the end of it, you're left with... There's a gal on the Donahue show. Oh, here's Donahue again. Boy, what a great wealth of sermon material you can get from the Donahue... So there's this lady on the show and she's a Christian and she makes Christian toys and she's got the fruits of the spirit and little dolls and she's got this big fluffy teddy bear that's a Bernie the Bible or something like that and you squeeze him and he goes the B-I-B-L-E that's, that's the book for me and, and, and so anyway Donahue he's carrying this thing around and it won't shut up <laughs> I love that the E. I gotta turn this thing off but anyway There's this lady who stands up in the back, you know, and he goes up there and he gives her the mic and, and, you know, you can just tell she stands up and I can tell what she's going to say just because it's written all over her face. She says that classic line, well, I don't think I have any right to impose my religious views on my children. I think they should be free to decide for themselves what they're going to believe when they grow up. Now, let's, let's think about that for a minute. Now, she didn't, but let's think about it. about it. What is she really teaching her kids? She is teaching her kids by teaching them that. She's teaching them those three things we just talked about. Kids, your mother doesn't know what is true. I have nothing to give you. No legacy, no heritage. I have nothing that I know for sure. Kids, your mommy doesn't know anything. I have nothing I can tell you. You'll just have to make it up on your own. Kids, really, there's nothing in this universe important and nothing really matters. Otherwise, I would have told you. So go out there into that meaningless, pointless, chaotic universe and try to make the best of your life. Maybe you can come up with some reality that will make you feel good. But I haven't got anything to offer you. Those kids are in big trouble, aren't they? When you know the Lord, when you know the transcendent, personal, loving God, you've got something that you can carry with you and pass on to your children. Something they can be sure of. Solid ground that they can walk on you've got something that is true I gotta share this with you before I run out of time which I am rapidly doing but I'm gonna keep going anyway I was on the radio some time ago it was a really dumb radio thing it was a five minute interview during the commute hour And it was just really, you know, Frank. Get down to the radio station. I want to interview you. So brrr, I go down to the radio station. They put me right into the studio. You know, and they put the microphone up in front of my face, big pregnant microphone. And, and and here's Chris Brecher. She's the DJ. She's doing the, the news, the sports, the weather, the traffic reports. She's going a mile a minute. And she says, "Well, we have Frank Peretti with us. He's here. He's an author. He's written a book called uh, This Present uh, Darkness' or something like that." And I'm uh, here, and I haven't read the book. I don't know anything about the book. I don't know anything about him, but he's here for an interview. So let's talk to him, Frank. What's the book about? And I said, "Well, it's about five minutes." Uh, whoa, well, whoa, well, well, The book's about about, uh, angels and demons and spiritual warfare and good and evil and saints of God kind of She says, Oh, you don't really believe that, do you? <laughs> oh, she was a good interviewer. It really made you feel comfortable. You know? I said, Well, as a matter of fact, I do. I do believe that because the Bible says that there are angels and demons and good and evil and spiritual warfare. And she says, Are you ready? She says, Listen to this. She says, Well, how do I know that what you're saying is true? And I had a beautiful answer for her. Two days later. <laughs> You've been there. You've been there, you know. <laughs> that's it, that's it. Wait, wait. <sighs> I did all right. I, I answered the question pretty well, but this is the way I should have answered it. I should have said, Chris, there's no way for you to know whether what I'm telling you is true unless you know what the truth is. And there's no way for you to know what the truth is unless there is a truth that you can know now digest that for a while people are out there saying the new ages are out there calling themselves I'm searching for truth what do you mean you're searching for truth? there is no truth, nothing is true you make up your own reality in your own universe, you call your own shots and you say you're searching for truth what are you looking for? it doesn't exist You've got to have a truth that is true whether you believe it or not. Boom. It's true whether you like it or not. Boom. It's true whether you even know about it or not. Boom. It's just true. (laughs) Objective external truth that stands in and of itself. The Bible talks all about that. From cover to cover, it talks about the truth. And the Lord says, I am the Lord thy God. I declare what is true. I declare what is right. Jesus said, he is the way, the truth, and the life. As a matter of fact, he told Pilate, I came to bear witness of the truth. And Pilate, being a true Phil Donahue, came back and said, what is truth? I don't know what truth is. What are you talking about? Well, let's go to the next one. Truth is relative. That's the first one. The idea, "Ah, you know, I'll make up my own universe. You can't do it, people. There is a truth you're going to run smack dab into and you're going to get a busted nose sooner or later. Let's go to the second one, though. The second one is God is impersonal. God is impersonal. That's the idea that, well, boy, you know, I don't want a God who's a person. If God were a person, then that means, oh, he probably has a moral value system. He probably expects his whole creation to abide by his moral value system. And that means, that, no, 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 I don't want God to be a person. I'd rather... But, you know, it would need to have all that power, though. It would need to have all that force, that vibration, that... <clears throat> It'd be nice to be able to tap into that universal energy Without it really having any personality That way I get to pull the strings I can tap into this energy And I can make it do what I want it to do By meditation, by incantations, by chanting By all kinds of interesting things So, instead of believing in a personal God They believed in a force An energy, a vibration, a consciousness A power I mean, You know, the Star Wars movies Remember old uh, little Yoda, the yogi The force is not the you in the rocks in the trees (laughs) on the road and the other guy uh, nobody wants to know me Uh, Obi-Wan Kenobi (laughs) Luke empty your mind of all thoughts let the force flow through you think about that a minute Luke empty your mind of all thoughts Luke, be stupid. (laughs) Be gullible. Take whatever comes your way. Don't analyze it. Don't question it. Don't think about it. Just go with the fuzzies. (laughs) You got this whole idea out there, uh, the the, the New Age movement and and, and secularism and so forth are experience-oriented. We used to say, if it feels good, do it. Now we say, if it feels good, believe it. Whether or not something makes you feel good there's no criterion for determining whether or not it is true. But that gets us back into the first one. I'm talking about the force, right? The universal consciousness. The energy. You know the crystals. That's what that's all about. The New Ages wear crystals as jewelry or earrings or they hang them from their rearview mirrors or in their living rooms or they have these big hunks of quartz that they put on the coffee table. You know, you used to be able to go down to the rock shop and buy one of these hunks of quartz here for about, oh... Three or four dollars, I suppose, and now you can go down to the New Age store and you can buy one for two or three thousand dollars. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But they believe that these crystals are antennae that draw psychic energy, and so if you have these crystals in your car or in your home all this stuff is focused in that's why they wear it on their person because they believe you know, they're going to draw this psychic energy uh, Shirley MacLaine you know, a lot of new edgers are moving up to the Pacific Northwest and one of the reasons is that they believe that, that Mount Rainier is a conduit of psychic energy they want to be under the spout where the comes out <laughs> and, and, and Shirley MacLaine says well it's because of the silicon content in the evergreen trees The needles have silicon in them, and it's crystalline, and so the trees are drawing psychic energy. You want crystalline silicon, you can go to the Mojave Desert, but nobody's moving down there. They're getting there. (laughs) It's nicer. You've probably seen the people meditating. they got the transcendental meditation. They're like this. They hum or they chant or you know, recite the name of a Hindu god over and over and over again, things like that. Well, they, they believe that there's this uh, life force that courses through their body along lines called meridians and it's centered in chakra centers and all of this. And the juice flows down their arm and comes through their finger and back through their thumb. It makes a loop there, see? So they've got to keep their fingers closed to keep the juice running as they're meditating. If you open your fingers, it's kind of like unplugging yourself. And so they... God is is impersonal. There's no personal God. There's just this energy. That may takes many, many forms, many different ideas. Let's go to the third one, and that is all is one. Now, the first one was truth is relative. The second one is God is impersonal. The third one is all is one. The Bible says that in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. God is God and the creation is the creation. They're two separate things. I'm awfully glad for that. Because this universe is in trouble. It's corrupt. It's given over to sin. It's stumbling over its own feet. It needs help from the outside. And I'm glad there is an eternal, transcendent, personal God who can reach in from the outside and pull us out of our predicament. That's called salvation. But, you know, if you don't want to serve God, if you don't want to believe that there is a God to whom you are accountable, there's, there are two ways you can get rid of Him. Number one, you can make everything God. Or number two, you can make nothing God. In other words, in secularism and naturalism and materialism, they just believe the cosmos is all that there is and all that ever will be. The idea that there is no God at all. But in this religious sense, they take God and they make God everything that is. That way God isn't separate from his creation. God is the creation. The mountains are God. The skies are God. The wind is God. The sun is God. The platform is God. The podium is God. I'm God. You're God. Everything is God. That was easy, wasn't it? You didn't know you were God, did you? Oh, that's right. You forgot. Yeah. It's, uh... <laughs> but that's why Shirley MacLaine stands on the seashore there and she's saying, I am God. And she's trying to convince herself, I am God. And her teacher is sitting there saying, Come on. You've got to really believe it. You've got to just shout it out. And she says, I am God. I can imagine the infinite, eternal God of the universe looking down on this. You know, compared to the size of God and the size of his universe, uh, Shirley McLean isn't really that much bigger than the grains of sand that she's standing on. Here's God listening to this voice down there. Uh, Gabriel, Michael, come look at this here. (laughs) Kind of puts things in perspective, doesn't it? You know, Psalm 2 talks about how the Lord sits in heaven and laughs at the vain, vain practices of the heathen down there. It's a pitiful thing, but it just goes to show how far a man will go because he wants to run his own show. I want to be God. Therefore, everything is God. Well, we've got to keep moving. Let's go to the next one. Number four, there is no death. The whole reincarnation bag. You know, Satan said that to Eve in the Garden of Eden. You shall not surely die. We don't die, you get recycled. <laughs> We come back in life after life after life. Now, why do we want to believe in reincarnation? Well, there are a lot of reasons, but they all boil down into two basic reasons. Number one, we don't ever want to stand before God and give account of our lives. <laughs> We'd rather think, oh, we get chance after chance after chance till we finally get it right. <laughs> oh, I love that line. Shirley McLean puts it that way. She says, Well, one lifetime isn't long enough to learn all the lessons we need to learn, so we have to have all these experiences and learn all these lessons in all these different lifetimes until we finally get it right. Get it right. <laughs> get it right. That's the part I can't stand. They're the ones that say, Ah, oh, that's not truth. You make up your own truth. You have your own universe. That's true for you. It may not be true for me, but it's true for you. It may not be true for me. It true for if there's the ultimate truth, then how do you even have a standard by which you can measure when it is you finally get it right? What's right for you may not be right for me, but what's right for me may not be right for you. You know how it goes like that. Then the other crazy thing is, you're supposed to learn all these lessons and have all these experiences through all these lifetimes. Nobody ever remembers any of their prior lives. (laughs) Every time you're born, you're just as dumb as the last time you were born. Well, the second reason that people want to believe in reincarnation is because they hope that through many reincarnations they will finally become so perfected that they will evolve upward into Godhood. They want to become God, you see? That, there you go. There's the same doctrine again. I don't want to be God. Let me tell you about the kissing cousin of reincarnation, and that is karma. It's one of the filthiest jokes that Satan ever played on the human race. You know it flies right in the face of God's grace? The Lord Jesus came to this earth and he died for those sins of yours, those sins of mine. He gave you a way out of your predicament. It's just like Satan to say, no, you have to work it off. And one lifetime isn't long enough. You've got to come back again and again and work it off. It's this whole idea, the immutable law of cause and effect. In other words, if you're a bad person in this life, you're going to be really bad off in this life. You're going to have to suffer in this life to work off all the bad stuff you did in this one. If you're good in this life, then you'll have it better, you'll you'll, you'll do better. So if you come as a mouse, then you may, if you're a good mouse, you'll come back maybe as a cat or something. And if you're a good cat, maybe you'll come back as a cow. If you're in India and you're a cow, hey, you in fat city, boy, you're in good shape. Well, that's why the the real Orthodox Hindus wear gauze over their face, because they don't want to inhale any bugs, because it might be their Uncle Tony on his way up or something. I make sure about that. (laughs) But let's go to the streets of Calcutta and look at all those little children that starve in the gutters by the hundreds and thousands over there. They die of starvation, of exposure, of total neglect. And the people who live in India who have the money and the food and the shelter, they have everything they need to take care of those kids, walk right by them. Don't even do a thing to help them. Why? Because of karma. Oh, oh, they must have done something bad in their prior life. They're just going to have to work it off now. Me, I'm doing pretty well. I must have been a good boy in my prior life. I'm going to enjoy it. This is my karma. That's their karma. They're just going to have to work it off. If I help them... If I alleviate their suffering, they're just gonna have to suffer again in their next life because they need to work off all that bad karma. I don't want to interfere with their karmic involvement. Therefore, they must suffer. That's why in India you have the caste system, the idea that that's your karma. If you are born a beggar, that's your karma. You're meant to be a beggar. A beggar is all you'll ever be. You may as well be the best beggar you can be. That's why the parents will often sever the fingers of their children, break their arm, cut off an arm, to make their children look more pitiful, so people will feel sorry for them, so they will be better beggars. And all because of karma. Karma. Who feeds those kids over there? The Christians do. Who builds the hospitals and the orphanages? The Christians do. Who puts clothes on their backs? The Christians do. It amazes me that even a New Ager will just say wonderful things about Mother Teresa because she's helping all these starving children in Calcutta, but they don't seem to realize that it is their belief system that is causing that starvation in India. It amazes me to get all these rock groups and movie stars and so forth going to India because they want to learn great spiritual wisdom but for some reason they don't see India. And what that belief system has done to those people over there? Karma. The Bible says that the Lord Jesus, the Son of God, already paid the debt for all of your sins and if you have faith in Him, He will wash your sins away and you can escape the penalty of sin. Now, you see, that is a totally different viewpoint. A lot of organizations and and churches and cults within the New Age are trying to somehow bring together Christianity and Hindu-Buddhist occultism. And they're talking about the Christ consciousness and all this other stuff. And they're trying to say, well, we embrace all religions. No, they don't. There is a glaring difference between biblical Christianity and all this other stuff. And that's what I'm just telling you about. I hope you'll be aware of it. All right, let's move on to the last one. That's cosmic consciousness. Now, truth is relative. God is impersonal. All is one. There is no death. Cosmic consciousness is the last one. That is the basic belief. Well, it's a practice, actually. Uh, it's an altered state of consciousness. It's a trance state. You can achieve it through drugs, meditation, yoga, hypnosis, biofeedback, sensory deprivation, all kinds of different ways to achieve it. It is basically... You go into a trance, into a relaxed state of mind, and finally you turn your whole being over to an outside force, an outside entity. And this is where all these weird psychic phenomena come from, because your brain is basically, it's like a computer. You, your spirit, happens to be the one in charge of that computer working the keyboard, all right? Now, in an altered state of consciousness, I'm I'm being you know I'm giving a simple picture of it here. But in an altered state of consciousness, you're basically getting up from the keyboard and you're allowing a demon to sit down there. The demon begins to tweak off all the neurons in your brain. He creates entire universes of illusion in your mind. He gives you past life experiences. He gives you out of body experiences. He gives you clairvoyance. He gives you ESP. He gives you psychic power. He gives you encounters with UFOs. He gives you whatever you want if it can convince you that you can believe the five doctrines and. By the idea that you are God, that you have infinite wisdom within yourself. And there are people that believe it today. I mean, well-known scientists and so forth who have gotten into this uh, occultism and this new age philosophy who have actually staked their reputations on the idea, well, I'm not, forget it, I'm not going to do any of this stuff in a laboratory anymore. I'm not going to look through my telescope to search the stars. I'm going to sit down, I'm going to practice yoga, and I'm going to explore the entire universe within myself. What did Satan tell Eve? When you eat the fruit, Eve, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God. Oh, such an enticing package. But look at what that package has done to us. It has sold the human race out to the most incredible degradation. We have had to face the steady decline of our culture. We have had to watch children starving. We have had to watch the incredible delusions that go on out there. All because of the pride, the arrogance, and the rebellion of man. The Bible says in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 that because they did not love the truth, God gave them over to a lie. And we are seeing people believing the most outlandish lies. Why? To preserve their own arrogance, their own pride, their own self-will, their own godhood. What's the answer? Hallelujah, it's what I started out with. There's a Savior, there's a champion. His name is Jesus. And He already was God. He didn't have to work up to it. He didn't have to reincarnate to get there. He didn't have to earn brownie points to get there. He was God. He is God. He always will be God. But He did the incredible, totally backward thing to our natures. (laughs) He became man. And even worse than that, He put Himself at our mercy. Because he came to pay off a debt. He came to pay off a sin. But don't you know? Don't you know that Satan saw him coming? Remember, Satan went into the arena with Adam. <laughs> come on, Adam. <laughs> yeah, there's the representative. There's the representative of the whole human race. And I'm going to give him. I'm going to make him buy into the lie. Come on, Adam. You want to be God? Hey, come on. You want to do your own thing? Have your own way? Huh? Make your own rules. I'll hand it to you, man. You can have it. And Adam went for it. He fell. He stumbled. He got into that thing. And here we all are. Because of that, Jesus came and went into the same arena, and Satan gave him the same lines, and Jesus was our representative again, and who am I glad he won this time? oh Satan came in there and really tried he said oh hey remember in the wilderness the wilderness uh, Jesus is hungry he's been fasting for 40 days and here comes Satan he just says oh he's weak now he's hungry now I'm going to get him I'm going to get him I'm going to make him buy into the same I'm going to do the same to him I did to Adam hey Jesus you're hungry aren't you hungry oh boy you just feel it oh hungry hungry. (laughs) how about turning the stones into bread you are the son of God aren't you (laughs) come on Jesus feed your belly don't you feel hungry why don't you take care of yourself you know the Bible says that man's God is his belly Come on, come on, do your own thing. Come on, forget all this humility, this obedience stuff. Come on, get something to eat, care about yourself, take care of yourself. After all, you're worth it. Jesus said, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. He was saying, there is something a lot more important going on here than my belly. Oh man, would to God that we could have that kind of an attitude. Hey, the will of God is more important to me than my comfort. My wealth, my possessions, my easy life. What does God want me to do? That's what Jesus was saying. Oh, Satan came at him again. You know the story. Show them all the kingdoms of the earth. Said, Jesus, come on. I'll give you all of this stuff. I'll make you the king of all of it. I can hand it over to you. Just bow down and worship me. It's just a little piece of fine print here. Don't worry about it. Just sign right here. It's okay. Jesus said... You shall worship the Lord your God, only in him only shall you serve. He knew where he was coming from. Satan came and he said, Hey, throw yourself off the pinnacle of the temple. Maybe the angels will, will catch you. They'll carry you down to earth. It'll be a big deal. You'll be on the evening news with Dan Rather. <laughs> Jesus said, You shall not put the Lord your God to a test. In every case, the attitude of Jesus Christ was exactly in the center of God's will. He wanted to do the will of his Father. That's what he came to do. And he was not concerned with his own exaltation, his own will. That's why Satan had to leave him, the Bible says, until an opportune time. I think there probably were several opportune times during Jesus' ministry. Remember when Jesus fed the 5,000? What did they do? They mobbed him. They were going to take him by force and make him king. Oh, I can just see Satan behind that. Come on, come on. Hey, come on. Hey, let's make him king. Hey, 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 hey. Look at this, Jesus. Look at this crowd I've got for you. I've got voters, man. I've got... Uh, you're the winning candidate. I can set you up. I can give you the kingdom right now. How about if You can't turn this down. They love you. Oh, they love you jesus got out of there he slipped away and he hid himself he did not come to be a king he came to pay off a debt your debt my debt it was a temptation but he turned away from it he was being obedient he was a servant oh it came about again jesus said to his disciples behold we're going up to jerusalem and they're going to crucify me And Peter stood in his way and said, Oh God, forbid, Lord, this will never happen to you. And Jesus said, Get behind me, Satan. You're not putting your thoughts on what God wants, but what man wants. Clear as a bell right there. Now, he wasn't calling Peter Satan, but he was calling attention to the fact that Satan, that slimy old fox, was trying to use one of Jesus' closest disciples to tempt him and turn him away. The biggest battle, the biggest showdown. Round 15 of this match was in the Garden of Gethsemane. That's where Jesus really began to feel the pain. That's where Satan really began to pour it on because Jesus was coming right up to the cross. And in his humanity, he began to feel the terror of what was coming upon him. You can see it as he told his disciples, My soul is vexed unto death carry with me and pray for a while and he goes and he falls on his knees he begins to pray and in those two lines that are recorded of his prayer those two main lines you can see the whole struggle and the victory the struggle is in that line Father if it be possible let this cup pass from me Jesus was grappling with the terror and the pain and the agony that he knew he was going to undergo knowing that all the sin and the degradation and the filth and the horror and the pain of all humanity was going to be dumped upon him that he was going to suffer every imaginable kind of wound that he was going to be separated from God humiliated, mocked, spit upon, beaten he was afraid And he was struggling with this. And I can just see Satan coming after him. Come on, Jesus. Come on. Give it up, won't you? Come on. You don't have to go through this. Look at all those disciples sleeping over there. They don't care about you. You don't care about the human race. Why don't you do something for yourself for a change? Why don't you get up off of your knees? You're God, aren't you? What about the 10,000 angels you can call to get you out of this? You don't need to go through with this thing. Come on. Take care of yourself. Do something for yourself. Make up your own rules. Do your own thing. And Jesus was struggling against that. He had you in mind. He had me in mind and he stuck it out to the point where he was sweating blood. But he won. He won that victory and you can see it in the final line of his prayer. Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. He made a statement. He made a decision. He made a concrete declaration of what he was going to do. And he never failed throughout his ministry. And Satan was rebuffed. I can almost hear Satan say, Okay, Son of God. All right, Son of God, you want to suffer? You've got it. You want to bleed? You've got it. You want to be humiliated? You want to die a horrible death? You've got it! And Jesus went to that cross, and I know that Satan had all the evil of the world behind him, and he unleashed everything he had on the Son of God. He held nothing back. The darkness and the torment and the sin and the rebellion and the arrogance of this civilization, this entire human race, was dumped upon Jesus and he suffered and he bled and he died for it. He paid the ultimate price and he took it all. He took it all. They even offered him drugs and a sponge to kill the pain and he refused it. He took it all out of obedience to God. He was a servant. That's the point. He took it all. And he didn't give it back. Instead of giving it back, he paid it off. Look at it this way. Here's a family on vacation. They're driving in the car. Sunny day. Windows are rolled down. Breeze is blowing in the car. They're having a good time. This big old black bee comes in the window. Starts buzzing around in the car. And a little girl sitting in the back seat, she's allergic to bee stings. If she gets stung, she can die within an hour. Oh, daddy, it's a bee, it's gonna sting me. And the father, he's trying to pull the car over, he's trying to stop, he's trying to catch the bee. It <coughs> comes around, he gets up against him and <coughs> Finally catches it, gets the bee in his fist. <coughs> it's in there, he hangs on, <coughs> and he waits <wakes. coughs> for the inevitable. <coughs> Finally, it happens. Boom! Ah! Oh. Let's the bee go. Daddy, daddy, it's going to sting me. No, honey, he's not going to sting you now. Look what I have in my hand. There's the bee stinger in his hand. Look what Jesus has in his hand. Satan's sting. The sting of death. The sting of sin. The sting of degradation. The sting of defeat. Jesus took it all. It's in his hand. When you see that nail scar, realize he took it all. He paid it off. He reduced Satan to a big black bee. And all Satan can do is buzz. And that's the victory that Jesus won for you.